Welcome to the Everyday Conversion Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Sievercrop, and I am just like you. I'm busy with work, family, kids, church, and a million other responsibilities. And honestly, some days I miss my personal scripture study and prayers. And some days we as a family miss our scripture study and prayer. But I'm trying. So if you're not perfect in living the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, but you're trying, well, get along great, and this is the place for you. Five days a week, I'll share a brief episode, often based on the Come Follow Me curriculum for that week, that I'm using to have daily conversations with my kids, whether we're on our way to school or on our way home or if it's real quick before dinner. And you're welcome to use them to do the same with your family or your personal study. Just know that the views and opinions I share are mine alone and do not represent the official doctrine and viewpoint of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now let's jump right in with today's episode. Welcome back to the Everyday Conversion Podcast. This is episode 34. You can get everything we talk about today, as always, at everydayconversion.com forward slash BOM34. And today I dug into 2 Nephi 30. And this was another one of those studies where I get almost through one verse, and then I have to sit and I have to write and make notes and, and write down my thoughts because of one tiny little sentence. Um, and I did, but I did get through the whole chapter. Sometimes that happens, and it's like, well, I guess I'm only studying one par- one verse today. But I did get through the whole chapter. But here's what I thought was interesting: Second Nephi thirty, verse one. Uh, Nephi says, "Behold, my beloved brethren, I would speak unto you." For I, Nephi, would not suffer that ye should suppose that ye are more righteous than the Gentiles shall be. For behold, except ye shall keep the commandments of God, ye shall all likewise perish. And as I read that, the thing that I wrote down was, the first thing I wrote was, the most important thing to God is righteousness. It's not lineage. It's not birthright. It's righteousness. It's being good. It's following Christ's example. It's being Christ-like. And no matter who we are or who we think we are, we are no better than anyone else. And we aren't able to have the blessings that we want to have or think we should have if we're not being righteous. So Nephi's saying, look, don't you don't look down on the Gentiles. You're no better than them if you don't do what you're supposed to say. And for whatever reason, as I was reading that, well, before that, I started thinking, I go, okay, so what's some examples? Jacob and Esau. You know, Jacob received the birthright over Esau because he was more righteous. Joseph in Egypt and his brothers. Joseph received a double inheritance over his brothers because he was more righteous, because he lived the gospel. Nephi. Nephi received the birthright over Laman and Lemuel because he was more righteous. So over and over again, the Lord has proven that just because you're the oldest or you deserve the birthright or you deserve something because you're the quote-unquote covenant people doesn't matter if you don't live up to that covenant. And for some reason, it made me think, and maybe it's because I I talked about this in, I think, yesterday's episode. Let me look here. Yeah, in yesterday's episode, I shared this scripture. Um, I don't even think I referenced it. I think I just it came to my mind and I said it while I was um, – while I was uh, recording the episode yesterday, I'll put the link to yesterday's episode in the show notes. Um, 
But I thought of Doctrine and Covenants 82.10, which says, I, the Lord, am bound when ye do what I say, but when ye do not what I say, ye have no promise. And I have never, ever, I don't know about you, maybe this is just me. Maybe you've always thought of it this way, but I haven't. I have never thought of that scripture in any way except for, hey, if I keep the word of wisdom, I'm going to get the blessings that go along with the word of wisdom. If I go to church, I'm going to get the blessings that go along with going to church, you know, in connection with uh, section 130, where it talks about, you know, there is a law irrevocably decreed in heaven upon which all blessings are predicated. When we obtain any law, any blessing, it is by obedience to that law upon which is predicated. Or whatever. Um, I think I quoted that right, but it could have been a paraphrase. I always think of it in that. Look, anything you, you know, when you do what the Lord asks you to, he's bound to bless you for it. But as I read it today, as I thought about it today, and then I went and read it, I saw something very different. And what I saw was promise. Promise is a covenant word. And all of a sudden, I looked at this, and I realized in connection with 2 Nephi 30, verse 1, that this is covenant language in section 82. Being bound, uh, having a promise or not having a promise, those are covenant. And I realized that I don't know exactly what the Lord said or what, yeah, what the Lord is saying here in section 82, verse 10. But what I read, how I read it this morning was if you, let me see, let me see what I wrote down here. There it is. Um, I wrote down, the Lord will bless us when we abide the terms of the covenant. He is bound to bless us when we abide the terms of the covenant. But when we don't, we lose the covenant blessings, regardless of our lineage, regardless of past promises, regardless of making the covenant before. If we don't live and abide in the terms of the covenant, we have no promise. We have no covenant. The Lord will keep up his end of the bargain, his end of the covenant, when we keep up our end of the covenant. And when we do not, keep up our end of the covenant or the promise, we don't have that covenant anymore. That covenant is not in effect if we are not living up to the requirements of that covenant. You know, it's like people who think, well, I was baptized, so now I'm good. Or people that think, well, we were sealed together in the temple, and so regardless of what happens with my marriage now, we're good to go. No. If you do not abide by the terms of the contract, by the terms of the covenant, by the terms of the promise, you have no promise. You are bound, the Lord is bound, when you abide by the covenant. When you don't abide by the covenant, you do not have a promise. So I thought that was really interesting. I have literally never thought of section 82, verse 10, in context of a co- of the covenant. I thought of it in context of individual commandments, but it takes on new meaning to me now that I think about it in the terms of it being a covenant promise. You're talking about promises and being bound. Those are, that's covenant language. That's, that's contractual language. Um, you're bound by a contract. Um, you know, there are promises connected to contracts. It's contract language is covenant language. And for me, it took on new meaning as I realized that the other thing, this is just a complete side note, but I thought of it. And so I'm going to share it with you as I was, I was making notes of, you know, Examples of where uh, those who quote unquote deserved or were promised the birthright didn't get it. You know, I thought of Joseph in Egypt and his brothers, I thought of Nephi and his brothers. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, 
do you think that Nephi saw himself in the story of Joseph in Egypt? I mean, think about all the times that he quotes and he recorded he recorded his father talking about the promises of Joseph in Egypt and telling that story. Um, the times that he has talked about Joseph in Egypt, the times that he asked Jacob to talk about Joseph in Egypt. This was a, a pivotal story for Nephi. And I wonder if it's because he saw himself in Joseph's story. You know, he was abused and nearly killed by his brothers, just like Joseph was. You know, Joseph, they threw him in a pit and then they sold him into Egypt, basically saying, well, we'll just make you a slave. They didn't quite kill him, but I mean, they probably figured it was fairly close and good enough. Like, he was dead to them. He was out of their life. Um, so it was good enough for them. Same thing happened to Nephi. You know, how many times did Laman and Lemuel try to kill him? You know, they tied him, tied him to a ship. They beat him. They uh, wanted to kill him. And then they were stopped by, you know, the power of God that was in him. Uh, they wanted to kill him after Lehi died. Um, you know, Nephi probably saw that Joseph was the one to save his family, to deliver them from destruction because of the famine. And because he brought them down to Egypt to be saved, to be preserved. And then Nephi, you know, is the one uh, over and over again, whether it's uh, when their bows break and lose their spring, that gets them food. Uh, he's the one that receives inspiration and guidance at times. Uh, he's the one that guides them safely to the promised land on the, on the ocean. Uh, so over and over again, Nephi is the one that saves his family. And then Joseph receives a receives the birthright over his brothers, over his older brothers, you know, uh, he receives a, he's a, he receives a double inheritance, you know, and his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh are given, um, tribe status, even though they are grandsons of Jacob or of, um, yeah, of Jacob. Um, even though they're grandsons, they get tribe status because of what their father did. And Nephi, obviously receives the birthright over Laman and Lemuel and is is uh, set by Neph Lehi to lead the family, to be the prophet, to be the leader of the family. So I it made me wonder, you know, did, is that why Nephi shares so much of Joseph's story? Because he saw himself in that story. He saw so much of what he was experiencing in the story of Joseph. And that's just an interesting side note. It doesn't really have much to do with anything and specifically nothing to do with today's um, reading. But I thought it was interesting. All right. Uh, there's a lot of – this is another one of those chapters where there's a lot of uh, instances of the prom the three promises of the Book of Mormon, the purposes of the Book of Mormon, why it was written. Uh, I found instances of the things that God has done for those before us in verse 4 and verse 5. I found evidence of the covenants of the Lord in verse 2 and in verse 7 and 8. And I found you know testimonies that Jesus is the Christ in verse 2 and verse 5. Um, and you could probably say in seven as well. Uh, so each of the promises or the, the purposes of the Book of Mormon are, are quite evident in this chapter, which I think is one of the reasons, again, that we um, tend to uh, love or gravitate to, towards certain chapters more than others, because some of them just have a, an abundance of these purposes of why the Book of Mormon was written. All right, Second uh, Nephi 30, verse 15 this is right after we get these this description of um, you know Nephi talking about many of the same things that Isaiah talks about as far as the second coming and when Christ comes and the peace that will be on the earth at that time. Verse fifteen says uh, it's the end of this. Uh, right after he, he lists everything that's going to happen, um, he says, "For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." 
And I had a realization that it is the, I had a realization that it's the knowledge of the Lord that led to the peace that we find in verses 12 through 15. It's because of the knowledge of the Lord, because he says all these things. And then he says, for the earth shall be filled of the knowledge of the Lord. Um, so he says, all of these things will happen because the earth is full of the knowledge of the Lord. And I realized that knowledge, knowledge causes peace, knowing God better, understanding him more understanding the scriptures more, understanding the things that he teaches, understanding the things that his prophets teach, lead us to acting in a certain way. They lead us to being kinder and more Christ-like, which then leads to more peace. And if all of us, if the knowledge of the Lord covers, uh, is full of, if the earth is full of the knowledge of the Lord, like the water covers the sea, which is completely, then there will be peace because everyone will know. And I feel like in this instance, knowledge is different than information. Knowledge is information applied. And I think that's what, what, what's being indicated here. And then verses 17 and 18. Uh, these were really interesting for me. Uh, I, I really got some cool stuff out of this. Uh, verse 17 and 18. I'll just read the whole thing. There is nothing. So it's talking about this time when Christ is going to come and reign again. Second coming. You know, there will be none to hurt or make afraid uh, or destroy. There will be, you know. Wolves dwelling with lambs, leopards with kids, uh, you know, children playing by wasp nests, you know, those types of things. Uh, and then it says, there is nothing which is in secret, save it shall be revealed. There is no work of darkness, save it shall be made manifest in the light. And there is nothing which is sealed upon the earth, save it shall be loosed. Wherefore, all things which have been revealed unto the children of men shall at that day be revealed. And Satan shall have power over the hearts of the children of men no more for a long time. And as I read that, I had a thought. And my thought was, Satan's power lies in secrets and deception. He has power when things are hidden. When he can convince us to hide things, that is when he has power. And if we refuse to hide things, he has no power. So at the second coming, when everything is revealed, all the works of darkness shall be made manifest in the light. Um, Satan has, shall have no power. You know, and I started thinking about that, and I'm like, okay. Um, you know, it's not even power. It's Satan has no leverage. That's when Satan has leverage, when we're hiding things. You know, I thought about you know, the fact that in Genesis 3, Genesis 3 verse 8, you know, it's Satan that prompts Adam and Eve to hide from the Lord after they partake of the fruit. It's Satan that prompts Adam to pass off blame and say, the woman that thou gavest me and commanded me, uh, commanded her or commanded us that we should stay together. She gave it to me. Um, you know, it's Satan that causes us to do those types of things. And then again, in the next chapter, Genesis four, nine, it's Satan that prompts Cain to lie to the Lord when the Lord asks where his brother Abel is. You know, when the Lord says, where is thy brother Abel? He says, I don't know. I'm not my brother's keeper. Wasn't my turn to watch him. You know, that's what, I, that's what my kids would have said. Wasn't my turn to watch him. Um, you know, it's because when Satan can convince us to conceal things, to hide things, he now has power. He has leverage over us. The minute that Adam and Eve confessed and accepted what they had done, 
was the minute that they were freed. That was the minute that the Lord um, provided a way for them to be delivered. Okay, where was I? Apparently, my son um, has some sort of internal clock that when I'm recording a podcast episode, he has to go potty. Um, Okay, yeah, so the minute that Adam and Eve uh, accepted what they'd done, the minute that they confessed, uh, the minute that they repented, the Lord immediately provided a way for them to be redeemed. He provided them a time of probation so that they could repent, and he provided the Savior for them and the plan of salvation. And the interesting thing is I realized that Satan completely twists this around. Satan convinces us that, okay, so let's start it this way. The truth is that when we conceal and hide things, we are bound. We we provide power and leverage to Satan. I can tell you, you know, we don't share specific things from patriarchal blessings, but one of the one of the the themes in my patriarchal blessing is that the only time that Satan has power is when we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, because he doesn't have a body, and so Satan only has power on us. He only has leverage when we choose not to do the things we're supposed to do. And, and then when we hide them, it's not that we, because we make mistakes, it's because we make mistakes and we don't repent of them because we all make mistakes. It's not, you know, Heavenly Father doesn't expect us to be perfect. He expects us to repent and fix it when we do make mistakes. So that's the way it really is. And then when we confess and we take those things to the Lord and we repent, he frees us. He provides freedom. But Satan has convinced us that the way it works is that you're free as long as you conf- you don't confess these things. If you hide it, don't say anything because as long as you don't say anything, it's like it didn't happen and nobody knows. And he says, if you know, if you if you tell somebody, if you go to the bishop and you repent or you repent in your prayers, you know, Heavenly Father or the bishop, they're going to be mad at you and they're going to punish you. They're going to take things away from you. They're going to tell you that you uh, that you can't partake of the sacrament or you can't do this, and and you're going to be confined. You're going to be punished. You're going to be bound when nothing could be further from the truth. It's so true in our own lives with our own mistakes and sins and um, either repenting or, or failing to repent. You know, it, it made me think of when I was bishop. Without fail, I would either uh, – it would come out in an interview or a, a youth or an adult would say, hey, we need to talk. And you could tell they were just completely weighed down with something. And I think part of that is, you know, I think parents are really good at seeing that with their kids when something's bothering their kids. But I think there's probably a little extra blessing as well with, with being bishop that you just kind of see those things. And you can tell something's going on and they're just completely weighed down. And they come in, they'd come into my office. They would sit down. They wouldn't make eye contact. They'd be slouched in their seat, and you could just tell there was almost a literal weight on their shoulders because they had this thing that was hidden that they hadn't told anybody that had happened. You know, sometimes it was a day or two before. Sometimes it was years before. Either way, they were weighed down by it. And without fail, without fail, every single time that I can recall, once they had confessed, once we had discussed it, once it was out in the open, once it was revealed, you know, once the, uh, you know, once this had been fulfilled, where it's like, there's nothing which is in secret, save it be revealed. There's no work of darkness, save it shall be made 
made manifest in the light. Once that had happened, they were visibly relieved. They took deep breaths. They sighed in relief. They stood taller. They looked me in the eye. They smiled. And they would always, you know, and, and often, you know, especially with the youth, I would say things like, do you recognize how you feel now? Yeah, I feel so much better. I, it just feels better to get it off my chest. Literally, we use phrases like that, get it off my chest, like a weight was there. We use phrases that describe that, that weight is gone. And I said, and I would always say to everyone, I would say, remember that. Remember that it feels worse when you come in and better when you leave. It feels worse before you repented and it feels better after you repented. Because Satan has no power if we don't try to hide things. He has no leverage. He can't influence us and impact us unless we are doing things we shouldn't be doing and we don't repent of them. And that is exactly to me what 17 and 18 said. That's what that said to me. Is when all things are revealed, Satan shall have power over the hearts of the children of men no more. It's not just going to happen at the second coming. It happens every single day when we repent. We are unloading that burden. We are transferring that burden to the Lord. And he carries it. And once he does that, we are no longer Satan no longer has any leverage over us. Satan has to abide by laws too. <laughs> and one of those is he has no power over us if we don't let him have power over us. If we are doing what we're supposed to be doing, which doesn't mean being perfect. It means repenting when we're not perfect and striving to follow the Lord. When we're doing those things, he has no power over us. When, th when the things of sec when secret things are revealed, when works of darkness are made manifest in the light, Satan has no power. Period. That is true at the second coming, and it's true today. It's true yesterday, and it's true tomorrow in our personal lives as we repent. And the interesting thing is we can't hide anything from Heavenly Father anyways. Like he already knows. First off, he's all-knowing, and he sees everything. So he knows when we do something wrong. So what are we trying to hide it for? And second, even if he didn't see it, so even if he wasn't all-seeing and all-knowing, think about your experiences as a parent. I can tell when something's bothering my kids. I mean, I can ask my kids a question, and they can lie to my face. And I know that they are lying to my face. I can tell by their body language. I can tell by the tone of their voice. I can tell by their... Uh, you know, the way their eyes move or don't look at me. I just, I, and I think there's just a sixth sense even. I can tell. And so if me as an imperfect parent can tell when something's bothering my children, certainly Heavenly Father can tell when something's bothering his children. So why are we trying to hide it? It always feels better. You don't have to tiptoe around it. You don't have to try to, you know, it's like the, the primary song. When you tell one lie, it leads to another. <laughs> You know, it, we don't have to deal with all that. It's just this, this stress, this stress of trying to keep stories straight and keep things hidden and, and act and force ourselves to try to act normal. It doesn't work. So if there's one thing that I would say, it would be to remember that the leverage and the power that Satan has over you, has over me, has over our kids, has over those that we teach, those that we serve, that power and leverage is because we have tried to hide things. We've tried to conceal things. And when we try to hide and conceal, Satan has power and he has leverage. And he uses that leverage very, very well. 
he convinces you, well, you didn't say anything last time you talked to the bishop, so you better not say anything this time. He's going to know you lied to him. Um, well, if you, if you tell him, then, you know, if you tell your parents, then, uh, you know, you're going to get grounded. Yeah, you might. There are consequences. <laughs> there are certainly consequences. But it feels better. It always feels better to get things out in the open, to repent of them, to lay them before the Lord, and to allow the Savior to carry that burden instead of you. He's got bigger shoulders. He's got stronger shoulders. He can carry it better, better than you can, and you don't need to carry it. So that's the things I got out of today's chapter. Uh, like I say every time, some really good stuff. <laughs> I feel like I should make it like an everyday conversion shirt. And all it says on the back is some really good stuff. <laughs> that should be like our tagline for the Everyday Conversion Podcast. The Everyday Conversion Podcast, some really good stuff. Because <laughs> I feel like I say it every day. But really, there is. There was some really good stuff in today's episode. I don't know how else, how else to say it. Uh, and it was it was informative for me. It was helpful. Um, you know, that connection be, between uh, that, that new meaning or the new way to look at section 82 verse 10. Uh, was was you know really really impactful for me in my personal study, and then this idea um, at the end that that Satan's leverage and his power come from when we hide things. Those are the two things that really stuck out to me. But everything we talked about today was really good. So uh, you can get everything we talked about in today's episode. Um, there's links to the other scriptures and whatnot at everydayconversion.com forward slash bom34, and we will see you in the next episode. All right, that's it for today. Now, I know, I know you want to hang out with me longer, but we both have a ton of things to do today, including living the gospel and trying to be like Jesus. Cue primary children singing. I'm trying to be like Jesus. But hey, if you want to get the links to everything we talked about today, you can find it on the episodes page of everydayconversion.com. You can also do cool stuff like subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast listening platform, sign up for email notifications of new episodes, and connect with us on social media there. It's kind of like a virtual church library without the militant librarians or a piece of paper to sign out your three tiny pieces of chalk for your lesson. Also, just remember, I do my best to make sure my opinions are in line with official church doctrine, but they are just that. They're my opinions. For official doctrine and viewpoints, I recommend you go to churchofjesuschrist.org or comeuntochrist.org.